Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 206. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 206 you're listening to. My guests today are several people who appeared with me on the Music Expo SF edition panel, Survival of the Fittest, How to Really Make a Living in Audio. This took place on Saturday, November 10th. You might have heard me talk about it. And because of the quick tweet that uh, Matt Carnes did from Colorado Recording, he reminded me to record it, and therefore I did. And without Matt, that wouldn't have happened. So thanks, Matt. Thanks again. This panel, of course, includes Carrie Keys, who is the executive director and co-founder of Sound Girls. She's also a monitor engineer for Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Piper Payne, who was a former WCA guest. Piper was on, uh, let's see, she was on episode number 45. She runs Neato Mastering here in the Bay Area, and she's worked with uh, Third Eye Blind, Madame Gandhi, geographer, and she has uh, appeared at the uh, Music Expo numerous times. Uh, also, Frank Socorro, who was on the last episode, episode 205. Frank, of course, is a Grammy-nominated engineer and producer who's worked with Mary J. Blige, Nas, and CeeLo. And last but not least, Brian Gibbs, who is a Grammy-winning recording engineer who's worked with Los Tigres del Norte and runs a studio here in the Bay Area. So Music Expo is put on by my friend Loic Mastriacci. We'll have Loic come on in a little bit to talk about it. It takes place in a number of cities, uh, including Miami, Nashville, San Francisco, and Boston. So next time you see uh, a Music Expo event near you in one of those cities, or maybe it'll be in a different city, uh, you should check it out because there's a lot of different topics discussed. This panel that is going to play today here on WCA is just one of many, many panels that take place. There's uh, all kinds of studio sessions and educational workshops and a lot of inspiring discussions, uh, artist showcases and uh, master classes. And there's also a lot of um, gear demonstrations being put on by the sponsors of Music Expo. So, yeah. Before we get too much further, I want to get Loic Mastriacci on the phone or on Skype. He's uh, going to call us from a phone booth. Yes, that's right. A phone booth at Twitter headquarters. So uh, we're going to talk to Loic right now. Stand by. Welcome to the podcast. Wanted to bring you on just to introduce you to my audience so they could understand a little bit more about Music Expo. So tell us a little bit about how Music Expo started. Well, Matt, thank you so much for having me today. And yeah, I started Music Expo now four years ago in San Francisco, and we expanded in other cities across the United States over the years. And really the idea was to inspire any music maker to make music. And a lot of us, um, because I include myself, we spend a lot of time in front of our computers looking at tutorials or trying to figure out DAWs and plugins, but not really making a lot of music. And the idea was to stop this and being inspired to cross the finish line and make music and produce it and release it. If I'm correct, Dave Earle, also known as SF Logic Ninja, was part of the inspiration behind that too. 
yeah, that's totally true. Um, I mean, eight, nine years ago, I was a, as a Logic user, I would watch a lot of his videos uh, online. So yeah, definitely a big inspiration. Excellent. So now Music Expo has been going for a while and it's in many different cities, Nashville, Boston, uh, San Francisco, Chicago. Is that correct? Did I get them all? Not Chicago yet, oh, but Miami. Miami. Done in Miami. Yeah. Miami, right. And uh, each one has a different group of people based on the ecosystem in that city. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So as an example, the two cities we expanded first were after San Francisco was Miami and Boston, where those two cities shared a lot of characteristics with San Francisco. Very rich music culture with a lot of events for music fans, but not necessarily with a lot of events for the creators themselves. So that's why we expanded those in those cities, which was obviously you know, Miami is known for worldwide uh, known music festival, especially in the electronic side, but also on the Latin side, you strong Latin and hip hop community, but nothing much going on there in terms of inspiring the next generation of producers and artists. And Boston is the same, very rich, rich in terms of music culture, but again, not much events for the music creators. There's one of the best college of music there, but besides that, and a lot of interesting music programs, but besides that, there's no events like Music Expo there. So that's why we brought it there first. And then this last, this year, we expanded to Nashville, which interestingly enough, it's totally different because of course there's strong music scene and there are a lot of events like Music Expo, but because Iron Girl is more about around new music technology and new technique of production, there was a need there as well to, to fill that void. You also have a day job. You work at Twitter. No kids yet, but you do have a wife. How do you balance doing Music Expo? Because you do a really good job, but you also have a very demanding job at Twitter. Yeah, that's true. What drives me is first, my job is great. And I love working at Twitter and my colleagues. And that's the day. And I spend all the time I need on this job. And Music Expo is really a passion project of mine. I mean, what drives me there is the passion and the fact that I meet people like yourself and a lot of our counterparts in the industry. So I spend a lot of my nights and weekends on it. The way I get my wife to buy in this project, well, first, I think she's very inspired to see that I'm pursuing a passion. But also she gets to travel with me and come to uh, those beautiful destinations where we bring Music Expo. And she gets to enjoy, you know, the scene and the food every time we, we go there. So that's the benefit. But yeah, I mean, you know, the only way to do those two things is having a great job and being passionate about it and being passionate about Music Expo. You're originally from Corsica, correct? Yeah, correct. Uh, my family is, uh, is uh, from Corsica. And any plans of doing a Music Expo in France? We don't know yet. Uh, could be possible. I think we're looking at internationalization right now. I cannot give uh, the cities we're looking at, but we're looking at maybe doing a music expo by 2020 outside of the United States. Well, I'm glad you came to the U.S. and started it. So <laughs> well, we're happy to claim ownership or, or of music expo. <laughs> and you, you should. And, you know, what's very sh surprising in a good way is of course, the, the ecosystem in San Francisco is fully behind Music Expo. And like yourself, you've spoke many times at the event. Um, and when we come to other cities, I see the same type of vibrant support from the local community, and which validates basically the mission that we have. If people want to find out more about it, the uh, web address is? MusicExpo.co. Dot co, not com, but co. And we'll include yeah. a link in the show notes for people to go to it, and they could check it out. So, Loic, it's great to see you. Uh, great to chat with you. As always, thank you so much for your efforts with Music Expo. It's it's a really good time for me and, and 
as it is for, I'm sure, others in the other cities. Yeah, no, thank you so much for, for taking at the event this year and last year. And I believe you had like a v- super interesting panels with a wide variety of panelists, uh, not just from San Francisco, but also from outside of out of town, which is uh, which is which is really inspiring. We're we're about to hear it right now here on this episode. Right. So thank you again. Good to talk to you. Likewise, thank you very much, Matt. All right, friends, let's have some coffee, shall we? All right, so NAM 2019, right? That's in January, January 24th through the 27th, Anaheim, right over there by Disneyland. Yeah, so if you're coming, maybe you're bringing your family, you can orchestrate something there. I've done it before. It's a load of fun. Uh, I'll be there roaming around. Hanging out at sponsor booths, walking around, doing a little filming, actually, yes. <laughs> Going to start to dip my toes into the video once again, and we'll uh, see how that goes. But yeah, I'll, I'll remind you again about it. But if you haven't uh, booked your flight <clears throat> or a place to stay, I encourage you to do so as soon as possible. So yeah, NAM 2019, January. You know, as I mentioned, Carrie Keys, who is uh, the monitor engineer for Pearl Jam and uh, the co-founder of Soundgirls, she's on that Music Expo panel that we did that you're going to hear today. And Soundgirls recently uh, teamed up with Spotify to take their database of all of their uh, audio professionals, all the the women in audio, and uh, kind of make a, a more easier to navigate uh higher profile directory so it's called the eql directory the equal directory so of course soundgirls has had a directory for some time but spotify has come in to team up with them to make uh the gui uh, a little fancier make it a little more easier to navigate so if you're in a uh, situation where you would like to uh, hire a female audio professional i'm going to put a link in the show notes you should check it out um it's quite nice and there's a In the EQL directory, you can find resources uh, from initiatives and organizations like AES, Beats by Girls, Equalizer Project, uh, Sound Girls in Mexico, the 7% series, uh, Yorkshire Sound, Women Network, and um, many others, many other organizations. So check that out. I will put a link in the show notes to the Equal directory. So this is the uh, holiday season we're in right now. This episode comes out the week after Thanksgiving. And of course, the wintertime holidays are upon us, uh, Christmas and such, and then New Year's. This can be uh, a slow time for a lot of us, and it can also be a time of great stress if you haven't been saving any money and you kind of been living, you know, uh, hand to mouth. So this is a good time to take the slowdown, make some plans for next year, and really make sure that this slow period doesn't affect you as badly next year and also don't be ashamed to go get a side hustle you know like a you know a uh, part-time job or anything that's not audio related don't don't compromise your own uh well-being or your family's well-being just because you aren't getting any audio work go out and make it happen then you know when it's all done get back on the horse and reconfigure plan ahead and don't, you know, don't get too worried. If you really do some planning, next year could be a really stellar year for you. So just want to 
be that voice of encouragement to you and uh, don't despair. It's going to be a good year next year. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Okay, so I'm going to take you to uh, Music Expo SF here. This is Survival of the Fittest, How to Really Make a Living in Audio with Carrie Keys, Brian Gibbs, Piper Payne, Frank Socorro, and myself here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, everybody. We only have about 45 minutes, which I'm going to start now. And so we're going to skip introductions. We're going to get right into it. So if you could hold your questions till the end. Some of us have to bolt off to different panels. I'll still be around. So if you have questions at the end, we'll, we'll jump into it. So this is Survival of the Fittest, How to Really Make a Living in Audio. And I've got Carrie, Piper, Frank, and Brian with me. I'm Matt. If you're in this room, the things that we're going to talk about really can apply to game sound, location sound, studio work with bands, mastering, 
voiceovers, post-production, forensic audio, remote recording, live sound, to name a few. I'm going to break it down into some topics. And let's start with choosing work. What audio discipline one should be going into? Because there are different personality types. There's different workflows. And certain audio disciplines are more geared towards certain personality types. So, Frank. Jump in. Yeah. I think if you're kind of a people person and you like being around people, I think being a recording engineer is great because you have to deal with a lot of personalities, the musicians, the producers, the artists. Whereas like I've transitioned a little bit more into mixing now in my life and that's a lot lonelier. So <laughs> if you don't want to actually talk with a lot of people, mixing is great. And I guess mastering is kind of similar too because you kind of tend to be by yourself. So if that's something that you're into, I, I would say, yeah. Per personality types? Uh I'd say if you're more creative and less technical, probably pick a more creative and less technical field. Um, but it's, uh, I, I find that folks that get along really well with difficult people, I agree, definitely good for recording uh, engineers. I feel like mixing engineers get a lot of interesting personalities because of the, the ability to recall things quickly now. And so if you have a hard time saying no, then maybe mixing isn't quite for you. Uh, I would also say, depending on your background, so how many of you were, grew up playing an instrument or trained on an instrument somehow, some way? Okay. So if you have that background, then front-end, pre-production, helping with arranging, songwriting, would put you in the recording track, right? And the more of that is done up front, the much easier the job is for the mix engineer, the mastering engineer, and the rest of the workflow. So I would definitely say go with what your strengths are. If you learn to play piano and you would get slapped on the back of the hand with a ruler because you were playing that uh, scale wrong, that was all good. Because <laughs> now you can use that discipline, just don't carry a ruler around, smack people around, well, unless that's your thing. <coughs> Spinal tap, you can have a good cricket bat. But um, yeah, if you, if you want to impart what you know, theoretically, arrangement-wise, all of that, then recording, definitely for you. For live, you can travel. You can work with no sleep for many days. Um, can get along with other people. Um, and don't mind being dirty. That's live sound. <laughs> but there's also the aspect of there are very organized people, very disorganized people. I would say uh, mastering tends to attract highly organized, meticulous people. Would you agree? I would agree. <laughs> Although if you saw my house right now because I've been traveling so much, you would, you would disagree. I think that mastering especially just, you know, requires somebody who is like doggedly will not stop until it's right. And I think that that's more important uh, than, any, than any other aspect. It's just like it, it has to be right. Either it's, it, it's very, very black and white. It's either right or it's not. And if you are that kind of person, then maybe mastering is, is right for you. Uh, I feel that even if you started out as a person who wasn't really organized, I think over time you will become organized because you notice that like I get more work done, I make more money, this is a lot better, I'm not stressed out. So it might kind of force you into becoming a more organized person. Yeah, I'm not necessarily a very like t uh, tidy or organized person in general. Like I've, I've learned to be that way and especially with my work taking very careful you know, notes and, and making sure that my business affairs are absolutely clean and, and taken care of. But like my entire other life at, you know, is, is like a very weird organized chaos. Yeah, you could be a very unorganized person 
in your personal life, but in, in your audio business life, you could be... you got to be right. I mean, any be. audio business. Yeah. If you're going to be successful in, in any business, especially audio, yeah. you have to take care of it because your job is to be the organized one where the musician is allowed to be freely creative and artistic and do whatever it is that they do best. Your job is, is, is their creative facilitator, so you take care of everything else. Okay, so we've talked about the personality types and quirks. Let's also talk about getting the work particularly networking, marketing, or branding yourself, uh, can feel free to jump in. I go to shows. I go to live shows. I go see bands play. I talk to them afterwards. I check out what they're up to and while they're on stage playing. I'm looking at their social media. and I, I like to look for people that have a really strong work ethic. And the reason for that is because once we get into a project, you will find people run out of gas because they go for weeks on end with no sleep, but they can still work. And their ears still work because your ears get tired. They do. Uh, and you have to be able to power through all of that. So I'm always looking for people that want to work really, really hard. So if they've got good creativity and a good work ethic, then I am in. And I can usually figure that out pretty quick when I'm talking to them as to what they're doing and how they're doing. And when I look at their social media and how busy they are or not, then how much they're working. That's a big indicator to me. I always tell people every day you go to work is a networking day. Because most of us work freelance, so you're working with new people on new projects. That's your networking every single day. Frank, what about what about you? Well, in Miami, uh, the music community is actually a lot. It's like really small, uh, especially the Latin side. So I tend to go to a lot of events like NARIS, uh, AES events, just things where other music people are congregating. Uh, just because it is a small community, and usually there's somebody there that's looking to get something done. And then sometimes you might show up somewhere, and that person just remembers that you do that thing, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I've been meaning to get my song mixed," and then you know, just kind of. So it just like really showing up to places really is. I totally agree with that. I think most of the work is showing up and that can be translated into pretty much anything so uh, you know you'll get more work if you're if you tend to say yes you will welcome more work you will be able to manifest more work in your life coming in from all angles but more than anything is to be reliable and when you realize how tiny this industry actually is it you can make it work for you really well or you can upset one person and you will not get, you know, the, get very good projects moving forward because people talk, people like to go with um, recommendations for other folks. And Carrie said it perfectly. Every day that you go to work and you show up and you do that one gig, that could translate into three more gigs, into nine gigs. And it all depends on, you know, if you are reliable, you do what you say you're going to do. If you can't do it, don't say you're going to do it. Um, and then if you put something out there, you know that it's going to be there forever. And that is your reputation. One thing I would add is join what you can. So get involved with uh, Audio Gang, uh, Gaming Net Audio Networking Guild, uh, AES.org. Um, go to the Recording Academy, get involved with Grammys, get involved with everything and anything you can networking-wise because they put on events. And there's people at events, people you can talk to, people you can network with. Um, the AES Studio Crawl, there was everybody there. It's AES, so people think engineering, but there were songwriters, there were musicians, there were everybody because of the Studio Crawl. And everybody wanted to see all these different studios, and it was a great networking event. So join one of those groups and go to the things they put on. When we talk about networking, though, and we're at events like this, when we say network, I mean, how do we present ourselves? How do we how do we put it out there that this is what I do, or I do these things, and I want your business? What what do you all do to facilitate that? Have a business card, please, please. 
how, get be able to get your info into somebody's hands right away, and then do what I didn't do for a long time, which is then follow up on the business cards. Like take a picture of them all, put them all down, take a picture, because then in your phone you have the date. Because when you just stack the business cards up on the desk and then they sit there and you go back three months later and you go, okay, I just went to like five events. Which pile is that? So, but when you put all the cards and you take a picture, you can hit details and go, oh, that was on November 10th, that was Music Expo. So all these people are from Music Expo and then you can start following up. Uh, now, what if you're just starting out and you're trying to establish, you've just figured out, okay, I want to do whatever it is, game sound or mastering, and you're new, you have no credibility, nobody knows who you are, what do you, how do you integrate that with what we're saying, with the networking aspect of this? When you, when you follow up, when you get that business, per, business card from that person that you met at that random event, send them an email. This is, this is gonna be more than just, you know, keeping, you know, hey, met you at this thing, see you around. It's gonna be, hello, so-and-so, I met you at this thing. This is who I am. And this is why you might remember me. These are the things that I'm good at. If you ever need help or need an extra pair of hands around the studio, give me a call. Here's my phone number. Here's my professional email address, not doglover123 <laughs> at Yahoo. It's first name, last name at Gmail or first name dot last name at blah, 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 or this person at this person's name domain.com. Okay, please, if I need something, if I need an assistant, First thing I'm gonna try and do is go into my email and find your name from when you contacted me when you followed up at, from that one event. And if I can't find you by the, your first name in my email or by searching your last name, first name, I'm gonna move on to the next person. Okay, so I'm not gonna remember that your thing was rock for life with a Y uh, at, at AOL.com, right? I'm gonna remember that your name is Gabe Horn at gmail.com and that is a real world scenario. And that guy got an email, a personal email address real quick. Also, I, I'm just going to toss this kind of an addendum onto the, this topic is you have to think long term when you're doing this. All of us have struggled and been through peaks and valleys over many, many years. And a lot of people are under the impression that in this day and age, they can just make it all happen right today. And that's, it doesn't matter what you can buy gear wise or, you know, uh, how many things you've posted to SoundCloud or whatever. It's all long term. So you have to think long term, mm -hmm. the long game, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Would you all agree? Yeah. Good, because if you didn't, I'd kick you off. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now when we're talking about what we're doing, and various people that I've talked to over the years have very different opinions on this. So I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. And that is to diversify or to specialize. Not to, and when I say diversify, I'm not saying dabble. I'm saying, do you do recording, mixing, mastering? Do you do location sound and voiceovers? Or do you just do mastering? Or do you just do location sound? Opinions on this. My thought is you need to spend time, time in understanding each of those. So the other thing with the business card is spend a few bucks and hire somebody that you met. You meet somebody who's a mastering engineer, spend the money to get them to master something and sit with them and watch what they do and see how it works. And understand what that process is and how to make mistakes that you don't make when you actually get the gig. So I, I would say you need to spend time doing these things so you can then decide what you would want to specialize in. Because if you don't really kind of test the waters, you might wind up doing something that you think you're supposed to be doing and 
you could have been doing something else that you're much better at. I think something that has happened to me is that sometimes you'll, you know, you're focusing on recording or mixing or mastering or production, whatever it is that you want to do. And somebody might come up to you and go, you know, I think you'd be really good if, or I think you'd be really good at this because of whatever set of skills you might have. And I would say sometimes it's okay to kind of just take a chance. Uh, if somebody's, especially if somebody's approaching you and saying, hey, you know, I know you do this, but I think you'd be really good at this. Like for the most part, I mix music, but I do post-production stuff all the time. And those are like, those are the gigs that I don't post on IG. Those are like, those are the ones that pay the bills. So sometimes you might like have a couple little side things that you do that aren't the thing that maybe you're known for, but because of your skills that you have, maybe organization, maybe you just have really good ears. Those are the things that can generate income for you. So, you know, those little side jobs there, like the thing you were talking about earlier today where, you know, they sent you this thing for mastering, but you actually gave production advice you know as far as stuff so it's like you should be open to those kinds of things just because you never know like where that could take you i think working on the live side of it you're gonna start out at the bottom loading trucks winding cable you need to be diversified you need to be able to go to front of house move boxes do monitors wire a stage and you kind of fall into what you're going to specialize in over time but hardly anybody starts out on a huge tour um so you're going to need to juggle a lot of hats and then people you know all i do is monitors at this point i could not do front of house my front of house engineer that i work with he's never going to do monitors so we just that's that's where we fall into it and when you're trying to get started it also might be a, a case of trying to figure out what you like what you don't like you might be doing um a conference you might be doing audio at, at a conference there's a lot of people that they think they're going to start out mixing that's their goal that's what they went to school for and they're like i hate that never doing that and they fly pa yeah and that's what they want to do they design the systems and get it tuned up and and for all you know you get into it for you know let's say you get into it to mix music and the next thing you realize forensic audio pays yeah. the bills yeah. and you really love it yeah. so it's it might be good to experiment in the early days to figure out what you really enjoy, what you're good at, and quite honestly, from a survival perspective, what is ultimately going to pay your bills. So, I think one thing, uh, just tapping on the forensic audio thing, like sometimes, uh, and I know this because I work at actually work at the SA in Miami. A lot of young uh, up-and-coming engineers they have this particular thing in their mind like oh I'm gonna leave here and I'm gonna mix records I'm gonna work at the hit factory or whatever but sometimes they're not hiring at the hit factory and sometimes they feel like oh that's not a cool job or forensics or you know and I feel like maybe as you get older you start to kind of realize like okay well I have a car payment and a house payment so forensic audio it is for now it doesn't mean you have to stop following your passion and whatever it is it just means that you need to take the skill that you have and you can apply it to actually make a living and it doesn't have to be bad like it doesn't have to be unenjoyable for you it can actually be really fulfilling and actually sometimes this work doesn't take that much time so you're actually getting paid at a premium rate because of who you are and you have to work a lot less, which means you can dedicate more time to whatever other that passion is for you. We have a couple of different uh, internship programs, Cal State University and Cogswell and some others. And so I get interns from a lot of different spots. And I liked when they go on. We have a couple that have gone on to work at Universal Audio. One of them came to me and he's like, uh, hey, I got a job at Intuit. I'm like, 
QuickBooks people? Like, what, you're doing audio for QuickBooks? Like, I don't understand. But they needed AV people internally. Like, they make internal training videos, and they have conferences, and they have, and he's got a really good paying job, and he's getting married, he's got benefits, and he's working for Intuit. I was like, awesome. You know, and now just, you yeah, know. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, and it was great that he found that job, but it's, you know, a, it wasn't what he thought he was going to do, but he likes it. They got a small little group, and he makes really good money, and yeah. In the Bay Area, particularly, I've had this conversation with many people that uh, Facebook, Google, uh, Salesforce, companies that you would not think you would ever be working for have their own internal departments that are generating constant amounts of content. And that content is audio-based, it's video-based, and there's some opportunity there to also you know, if you're an audio person, dip your toes into the world of video and get an education there that might serve you well down the line for whatever it is. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app, and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. I want to talk about side hustles or kind of mixed in with, you know, keeping your day job, if you have a day job or a part-time job. Uh, there is no shame in working at Trader Joe's and then mastering records at night. So can you talk on the day job mixture, that maybe a non-audio-based day job uh, or even an audio-based day job, and then your passion? Um, well, I'll, I'll just start, I guess. Um, I'm very lucky to have not really ever had to, to have a non-audio-based day job since I've, you know, started this career. That doesn't mean that I didn't have a non-mastering-based day job for a lot of it because the fact is there's 24 hours in the day and if you are not working every minute that you're not sleeping, especially getting started, of course... Okay, disclaimer, take care of yourself. Like, don't work, your, work yourself to death. Like, be careful, take care of yourself so that you can take care of other people. But if you're not really putting in all of the time you possibly can to furthering your career, 
then you're not doing it right and you're not and you're not you're going to work a lot longer a lot more years before you actually you know actually make it and so I don't think it's a side hustle. I think it's just, it's all a hustle. And so if you got to work at Trader Joe's, you got to work as a barista in order to afford that one piece of, you know, one new computer or that one plug-in or something that you need to do, the thing that you really want to do better, then do that. And if you're, and nobody should be above any gig. Nobody should be too proud to work, you know, work hard and, and, and have any job. But, you know, I, w I was at least lucky enough to have the ability to do like location recordings. And I put myself into a really good position here in the Bay Area after I moved here. But that wasn't, you know, just on a whim. It was because I had been doing that since I was a freshman in college. And I had been learning more and more about, you know, how to, how to properly do an archival recording. And so guess what? Archival recordings, when I first moved here, were like four or 500 bucks a gig for like three hours of work. So, you know, how did I end up with a mastering studio full of gear? It's from working my ass off in every other aspect that wasn't mastering to make, to make that happen. You, you also have to stretch outside of your comfort zones. Totally. Maybe, maybe you're in, I'll give my, my example. I, I mostly mix and, and record and master to some degree. Tracking, you know, recording has kind of fallen off a bit, and it's, so it's mainly been those other two things. A buddy of mine reached out to me and said, hey, I gotta be out of town. Can you come over to the independent to do a streaming thing for YouTube? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I was a little uh, like, that's a little outside of my comfort zone. But I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm gonna do it. And my buddy really kind of suckered me into it big time because he said, I picked you because I knew you wouldn't screw it up. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna do it. That's what you said to me about a gig you gave me when I first moved here. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. And they ended up being mastering clients for a bunch of years. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, see what, yeah. what comes around goes around. Yeah, I tracked vocals for you one time <laughs> when you couldn't, you couldn't be there. Okay, so side hustles, keeping your day job. Now, once you get the work, let's talk about maintaining the work. Uh, client management, schedule management, completing the work, making promises, being professional. Can you touch on those topics? Um, I think uh, some of the things that you know Piper touched on earlier, which is you know just being organized, uh, especially with your clients, uh, especially because if you're dealing with a producer or artist, they are the creative type, and sometimes they are a little bit flaky, or they they don't send the files on time, or they're going to call you late at night, and you know, so you being able to be the kind of organized one is definitely something that will keep you in the job. For a large portion of my career, I was the in-house engineer for a producer, and I was there because I kept everything in order. So I knew where all the backups were, I knew where all the files were, I knew what we tracked this, I knew what the sample rates were, I knew where all the gear was. Like, Just because I was able to keep everything organized, it kept me in work for a really long time. Make yourself indispensable. Correct. Change the passwords on the computers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and change your cell phone number. <laughs> no, really though. I mean, your job to get a job in a studio, your job is to make the head engineer or the studio owner or the person you're working for, your job is to make their life easier. Okay? So, learn the ability to anticipate somebody else's needs. Learn the ability to think forward and think ahead so that they don't have to, so that they can focus on what they're doing to make the money, okay? The only way you're gonna get paid is, is if they're making money and they are making enough money to afford you, okay? So make them at least five times more than what your salary is and you'll be fine. 
Okay. So when let's talk about client management a little more. Prioritizing clients. You know, I've got some clients that I'm dealing with now that set deadlines and say, you know, on this day or whatever it is, Black Friday, we want to release this single. And then I've got other clients who always have stuff going on. But one client that doesn't have the deadlines is the one always, you know, hey, how are we doing? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? You get frustrated and, and sometimes I don't want to return emails when I, when I get that. I'm just like, no, I'm going to bury my head in this other band's mix to make the deadline. But in reality, I have to respond to that email. So can you talk about managing expectations with people? Um, when somebody has a particular deadline, I know how long it's going to take me typically to do the job. So uh, just from the beginning of the relationship, if somebody goes, hey, I want you to mix a song, I have an email template that I send where I go, okay, uh, this is how much I charge. This is approximately how long it takes me a mix to do if it's, you know, 10 to 20 tracks. If it's this long, if it's this many tracks, it's probably going to take me a little bit longer. Uh, this is how quick I'll turn around. You're probably going to have three changes. So you need to account for maybe, you know, X amount of days of time. And that does two things. One, if the person's really serious, they understand what I need from them to deliver on time. Two, if they're not serious, it scares the shit out of them and they never call me again. And then they value your time more because they can understand what the heck you're doing. I had this one client very recently. She's not here. <laughs> so <laughs> it was super frustrating because I, she was on a super tight deadline I scheduled her, got her in just before I had to go out of town for, I think, like the uh, making vinyl conference in Detroit or something. I had to, I had to leave town like the next day. So somehow I squeezed her in, got like an hour and a half of sleep that night and got on a plane the next day. So here's what happens. She did an attended session. She watched me work. She watched me master her tracks. And we did about six hours worth of work in about four hours because literally I didn't have any more time. I had to go to the airport. And she had, all, she had just gotten her stuff in late, and then the mixing engineer didn't actually turn in the right stuff. And then we waited for him to do... So basically, I had negative time to do the, a proper job. So I did a killer job. We, we actually mastered it very quickly. We took care of it. Ha she had no notes. We got it done. So then she comes back, and she's like, so I don't think I should pay you as much as we had originally... And it was already a discount rate because like I knew I was just taking, she said, I have this much money and I'm going to take care of it. This is how much I it should be. This is how much it ended up being. And then she comes back and she's like, well, you mastered it in four hours. Why should I pay you what your rate was? And I'm like, well, I already gave you a 25% discount because I wasn't expecting the work that month anyway. I didn't think we could put it in and I did you a favor. And she was like, well, I saw you work so fast. Like, why can't you make the, you know, why can't you make this happen? I'm like, are you kidding? So... I, at that point, I had gone against what I usually do, which is to say, all right, your mastering session usually takes, for an album, it takes two weeks, and this is how it all gets broken down. This is how long it usually takes me. This is why it costs so much, and these are, you know, like assistant fees, QC fees, extra revisions, blah, blah, blah. I didn't do that this time because she needed a favor, and I took care of it, and then it comes back to bite me in the ass. So going off of what you just mentioned, I think that it serves the client to understand more why they're hiring you and why these things cost what they do and why they take so long. Yeah, I can master a record in faster than what I, what I state and what I get, get the rate for, but those are based on revisions and all kinds of other things that go into that too. That was frustrating, but maybe it's, maybe it's helpful to, to have it broken down like that. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of times, like, like I said, 
they either take you very serious and they go, okay, this guy's about his business and he's going to turn in the things obviously on time or they just get scared because they know that they're not, they don't have their stuff together and they're like, I'll come back to you when I, I've literally people say, I'm going to come back to you when I have my stuff together. And also just kind of a, a note on what you're saying, Piper, you have to know your worth and you have to be willing to advocate for yourself and not get taken advantage of because I think the tendency, because to some degree, all of us, I mean, we're all, we love music. We, we have an empathy for musicians, and therefore we want to help out. And sometimes that helping out can cr- cross the line into <laughs> your story. Go, go, Brian. Please charge something. Yes. Do not work for free. Okay. Who's had somebody give, hand them a CD or their music or something like that? Okay. If you were in my earlier session. Okay. Did you listen to it? Okay. The one that you paid five bucks for. Did you listen to that one? Yes. Guess what? The same thing applies in reverse. When you don't charge for your time, they don't show up to the session, they don't value your time, they don't send the stuff that you need. Correct. So, charge something. Minimum wage is whatever it is, charge that. I I don't care. Charge per hour, charge per song, limit your revisions if you're going to be mixing, whatever it is. But charge something. Put a value on what it is that you do, and actually you'll probably wind up getting more work even if the people are like, well, I don't have the budget for this and that. Or not. You'll make it happen, but charge something. And, and I want to say, if you, I have many long-term clients, and what I do on my invoices is I charge them you know, the bro rate, yes. but at the bottom, yes. I put that it's a discount, and it's yes. discounted from this normal rate, so they are fully aware when they look at that invoice and go, oh, he charges that much, and I'm getting it for this much. So they know. In the live world, it's different because you're probably getting, you're negotiating a salary up front. Yeah, you're negotiating either on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And it varies. It varies from what the event or tour is. Obviously, a band that is touring in a van cannot pay my weekly rate for an arena tour. Um, so, you, you know, there's... Sound company is flat rate. This is what they pay, period, no matter how many hours you're there. Could be another sound company that everyone's going into overtime. So you've got to, you got to negotiate. you got to know what, whatever you've agreed upon. Put it in an invoice immediately with the terms of when you're getting paid. Don't wait till after the show to put your invoice in. Most companies are paying on 30 days. Get it in right away know what the rate was, what the times were, and who you negotiated that with. Choosing what to involve yourself in, because what you involve yourself in, the route you take, could very well open up a bunch of great opportunities, or it could get you stuck. So can you talk about which door to choose, where to go? So when I started, I was mostly just doing freelance around Miami. And there, at that time, it was really popular for producers to come around the studios, find an engineer they like, and take them with them. And now that person had a steady gig. And I was like, man, if that could happen to me, I would be set. And then it happened to me. (laughs) And all I wanted to do was go back to freelancing. (laughs) Because now you're working for this one person, you see this person every day, you do a lot of the same stuff. You might miss having different clients and working on different types of music and stuff like that. So just, you know, you have to be aware of what comes with those things. So if there's something that looks like, you know, again, grass is greener kind of vibe and you're looking, ah, that's great. Try to do some research. Ask somebody who's doing it because they probably will tell you a different story. Let's move on to uh, once you have 
chosen your gig, you're established, and you have the gigs coming in. Money management. Let's talk about paying taxes, uh, saving for retirement, <laughs> dealing with slow months, billing systems, responsibility to others, and also my favorite topic, gear needs versus gear lust. And going into debt. So or getting out of debt. Talk about that. Get married to somebody who has a lot of money. That's the first thing I would say. No, seriously. Uh, Get yourself an accountant. Check. Uh, who can help you with this in the beginning. Or even, I have a, an accountant. I've had him since the beginning of my career. Somebody uh, introduced me to him. Oddly enough, he was a producer too. And then he decided to just be an accountant full time. He's been my accountant my entire career. Um, so you have ways to pay taxes at the end of the year and, and kind of really budgeting yourself and your life. Just because you made five grand this week doing like a bunch of cool gigs doesn't mean you have five grand to spend because you don't know what's happening for the rest of the month. So, I mean, live way below your means, you know, and, and you'll probably set yourself up to be a lot more successful. Yeah, I mean, when it rains, it pours in, in a freelance world, but man, when it's dry, you are starving. Take, you know, take very good care and don't, I agree with Frank, do not expect that, you know, just because you made five grand this month doesn't mean you're making 60 grand a year. For me, I, I have been very, very careful about my taxes and, and how I deal with my income and, and outgoing um, for my whole career. And Matt, you know, y you know that this, that is the thing that saved me when I had to go out on my own. Um, and that was because I had taken very careful um, measure of where I was at and all the money that I brought into a, a company and all of the things that I could then were mine and assets that I could have when I needed to go out on my own. And so this goes further than just personal responsibility. This is to take care of your team and take care of the people that helped you get to where you're at. But um, for me, I'm lucky enough to have a manager now. I mean, if you had asked me when I was getting started, I never would have thought I'd be in a position where I could actually have somebody else taking care of all of the billing and scheduling and client relationships. And I will never let him go. But I also have an accountant who makes sure that I am, you know, taking you know, reporting as much loss as I need to for the business when I buy a big piece of gear this year, that means that's that much less taxes I have to pay um, when income tax rolls around. The other thing is too, if you're an independent contractor and you're doing a freelance um, thing, pay your self-employment taxes quarterly so you don't have such a huge bill when it comes around at the end of the year. I, I want to say onto that, uh, if you can't be disciplined enough to save to pay those quarterly taxes, yeah. Set yourself up an account on the IRS's website, and every time you get a check and you put it in, you can make a payment on, based on that check, and then you don't even have to think about it, and at the end of the year, it's not going to be like a big, oh my God, I, I'm going to go bankrupt because I owe the IRS X amount of dollars. And you can't take losses forever, but when you first start out, you can. Yeah. But you have to make income to have expenses, right? right? So uh, for those of you that do have the day gig Trader Joe's, that W-2 income, if you have a Schedule C, you can kind of offset some of that uh, income because of that taxes that you're paying because of what you're doing to build this other business. So doing those two in parallel are not a bad thing. And a Schedule C is not that big a deal. It's only 30 lines. And this is just about, it's not even just like running a business. It's just about being an adult and being responsible because if you can't just take care of your taxes and take care of like your business things, why would an artist trust you to take care of their art and their assets? That's just a sobering thought. Yeah. Um, CPA. Get a CPA. Okay, so uh, let's talk about gear lust because we're in an industry that uh, fetishizes equipment constantly. 
and it can make or break you because you can see a piece of gear, you'll see an ad in a magazine, and you'll go, ooh, I need that. Oh, I just got a new credit card. I'm going to buy that. And you may not even have the, uh, the income or the gig to support or justify buying that. And too many of those choices, you're going to have a big credit card bill and no income. So talk to me about gear lust and managing what you buy. The one thing I will say is that if you buy it when you need it, you're going to pay way more than you should have. So as you are looking, have a really clear vision of what it is that you are going to need and what it is that you want to be known for. If you want to be known for being able to track great drums, okay, then you're going to need multiple channels of preamps and really good preamps and really great mics in a, in a good room. If you want to be a great vocal producer, then you need a great mic, you need great cabling, and a great preamp. you got to be looking at that stuff all the time and have a clear vision of what you want. And then when you find that thing, it's going to pop up, then you can grab it and keep squirreling away that money so you can grab it when when it does come up, because it will. If you are going to buy something, thanks, Matt, for mentioning the credit thing. I I think that this is a serious issue. And it actually goes all, all the way back into your education and the choice that you ha- you you make when you go to audio school figure out how you're going to pay for that thing you know if you if you say well I need a I need a boom and a shotgun mic because I might I have this you know this uh post or this um production gig like figure out what exactly you're getting paid for that production gig before you buy the thing and then commit that money now don't just put it on a credit card because you can or you know or have to borrow something to pay somebody back but if you're going to buy something significant for your career make sure that you have a path to pay it off because otherwise you're just going to get it's just like quicksand you're going to get swallowed up and um and when you do buy that thing inventory it with a serial number with your name on the gear um, so that in case something ever happens, you can prove that it was yours. And then also when you write that on, put that on your taxes, you can show what you bought. A, a lot of this boils down to financial responsibility. Yes. And you, you go got, ahead. You got to know how to run a business. Yeah. Um, I always tell people, take audio classes and then take business classes. Because so you're going to work freelance. You got to run your own business. You're going to be responsible for any license, taxes, your pension, your health care. Buying your gear if you're buying gear. Buying insurance. Making sure you have liability insurance. Got or, it. You've got to know Or equipment that. insurance. Uh, yeah. Equipment insurance. Yes. And you need to know how to negotiate those things. These, these fires that are happening. Imagine if you were one of those people and you had thousands of dollars tied up in a home studio that is generating money for you and you don't have insurance. I'm going to give a quick plug for the, um, the studio recording insurance program. Um, They're based up in, I think they're in Jersey. I don't remember exactly where they are, but I and most of the studio owners that I know are are insured through them. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, Joe Monterello. Joe Monterello, that's right. Joe Monterello. He's in Albany. So call Joe and tell him that we sent you so we might get a discount next time. Um, You won't get a discount. But it's not that expensive. Okay, look, in order to insure a million dollars worth of gear and also personal injury and potentially like workers' comp things and all that, it's like a car payment. It's not that expensive to insure your livelihood and your ability to make work in the future. And the last thing I'll say about gear, because I'm not much of a gearhead, although I do appreciate good stuff, only buy the best thing you can afford, okay? Don't buy crap. Don't buy that crappy little USB microphone. 
you know, buy an actually good microphone with what you've got. And if you can't, if you're $20 shy of like an SM7, don't buy two shit microphones. Save for two more days of n no sandwiches at Ike's and lattes and buy that SM7. Like get good equipment. And use the tools that you actually need for your job, not what is shiny in the magazine that you think is going to be great. Use the tools for the job, the right tools for that job. And utilize what you have. Learn how the things that you have work inside and out. I don't upgrade a piece of gear until it's stopping me from doing the thing that I need to do. Like the moment that it's like, I can't get there because of this, or I can't hear this, or I'm not, then I'm like, okay, now I need to think. And it still takes months like of trying stuff and like I'm not just going to go buy something just because like it really has to be stopping me so okay we're going to have to go because a couple of folks got to go I'll stick around if you have any questions I'll go out in the hallway but thank you for coming thank you to all of you Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP-UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Music Expo SF here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I want to, of course, encourage you to stop on by workingclassaudio.com. There's over 200 shows to choose from with audio professionals telling it like it is. There's also a guest suggestion forum, and so stop on by there. I want to thank Cliff Truesdale for the Working Class Audio theme music and Chuck Smith for the voice at the beginning of the show. Tell all your friends, spread the word, like us on social media, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss, you know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.